We are, we're glad to be back in the book of Romans. So we took a, took a break, and now we're going to jump back in. But before we do, uh, I wanted to mention uh, children's, uh, we're talking about the children's program and stuff. One of the favorite words of a child, and if you're a parent, you know this even better than I, is the word why, right? Why? You ask them something, and they respond, why? Uh, my niece, June, is, is like this, I, I've found in my life. And so I'll ask her, she'll ask me a question, you know, why are you eating that, unk? That's what she calls me. I'll say, because it tastes good. Well, Why? I don't know. Are we going to get into the science of taste buds right now? Just let me eat my food in peace. You know, what? Oh, can you play hide and go seek with me? No. Why? Because I'm watching basketball right now, June. Well, why? Well, because I love basketball more than I love you. Uh... I'll count. You go hide, right? Good. Fair enough. Um, we, and, and, but this is kind of a karmic thing that I've found. What goes around comes around because I used to do this with my aunt and uncles. Uh, I remember my aunt Ellen. She used to always uh, try to explain things to us, and me and my siblings would follow up with, why, why, why? And one day, she kind of lost her cool, and she just goes, because that's the way God made it. And we go, oh, okay, cool. And we just kind of dropped it. Like, you, should, you buried the lead, right? Like, we're pastor's kids. We would have totally bought the line, but that's, that's the reason why. Um, so as a parent, when, you, when you're desiring your child to act a certain way, don't hit your sister. Don't eat your boogers. Treat your mother kindly. Uh, and they follow up with the why questions. What's our response? How do, how do we respond to those why questions? Well, if the dominating answer the dominating answer is what I call the Nike response, where we just simply tell them, just do it, right? Just do it, because I said so. Now listen, are there times when we just, you just do it because your parents said, absolutely. But if all we ever give them is just do it, then we're gonna miss the mark. See, we might be able to produce results, we might even be able to get some moralism out of our children, but we're, gonna, we're not going to give them Christianity. We're not going to give them something that's rooted in something deeper and more glorious and produce joy and obedience from the heart. At best, we'll get them to outwardly conform, to obey, but we're not going to get a life change. If we want our children's lives and actions and attitudes to flow out of worship, to be done in the light of Jesus and his cross and the grace, if we want them to live gospel-centered lives, then we've got to give them something deeper than just do it. We're getting back into the book of Romans. Uh, we started this last April. We took a break, like Lisa mentioned, for Missions Month in November and then Christmas series in December. And we're going to start here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we're going to look just a few words this morning as we kind of come back in. And we're going to see two arguments from Paul. Two arguments that I think he's making in these first few words. Number one, our lives must be built on something. Our lives must be built on something. And number two, that our lives must be built on the mercies of of God, built on the mercies of God. That's our argument this morning from Romans chapter 12. And it's going to cause us to look back at Romans 1 through 11, which is good because it's been a while for us. We need a bit of a refresher. So number one, first point, your life must be built on something. Verse 12 in the ESV, uh, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And we're going to zero in on this first word here. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, if you remember, as we were walking through this book, we always said, if you see a therefore, there's a key question we want to ask. What's the therefore? All right, a few of you were paying attention, all right? Well, we will work on that. We'll work on that. You get stickers afterward. Um, what's the therefore, therefore? That's what we want to ask. There's a reason when he uses this, there's a cause and effect relationship. Paul's going to show us the action he's about to call us into is not just out of the blue. It's built on something. It shows that there's a deeper, more beautiful, meaningful reason than just do it. I uh, have a bone disease in my hips, 
called avascular necrosis. There's no blood flowing to my hips. I had a bone graft when I was 20 years old to help prevent further deterioration, but we all knew that someday coming down the road, hip replacements would be necessary. A few weeks ago, I spoke with a doctor in Phoenix who made some arguments to me of why he could do this surgery now, and I wouldn't have to wait until I was in my 50s or in my 60s. Minimally invasive surgery that could potentially last, last for decades. Now, he says I should get replacements. It's not coming out of nowhere. There's a therefore. He gives my re his reasons and says, therefore, I think that you should get hip replacements. And for me, the desire to get these, th these hips replaced comes out of something as well, right? I want to be able to run. I want to be able to play basketball. I want to be able to go on hikes. I want to be able to sit down and go crisscross applesauce, just like all the other kids, right? Like, I want to be able to move my hips. And therefore, therefore, in view of my fallen hip state, and the competency of Dr. Jimmy Chow in Phoenix. I am going to present my body as a living sacrifice on the operating table, my physical act of worship, right? On January 31st, I'm gonna get my right hip replaced and then three months later, get my left hip replaced. And it's built on something, right? It's built on something. This is, this is a, this is, there's a reason A, therefore B. And what Paul's going to show here is there's a reason for what I'm about to call you into. This is an important word here because Paul's going to move from doctrine to practice. In other words, he's going to take us from the truth, the truths of who we are in Christ that he showed us in Romans 1 through 11, and therefore, here's how you live that truth out in Romans 12 through 16. And this is a pattern of Paul's. He shows us always who we are before what we're called to do. Who we are before what we're called to do. You read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, he shows us who we are in Christ. Therefore, in chapters 4 through 6, he shows us how to live that out. And we always see that this is what Paul does. This is his style. This is, this is the approach that he takes. Because the reality is you and I can't do Romans 12 through 16 without the foundation of Romans 1 through 11. It's impossible. It's impossible. If we try to do the things that God's called us to do without the foundation of who we are in Christ, at best, we're going to have a just-do-it performance. We might, get, we might behave a little bit better. We might have some outward conformity, but our hearts will not change, and Jesus' image will not truly be reflected. True fruit will not be born if we don't stack 12 through 16 on top of 1 through 11. Let's imagine trying to uh, try to operate an appliance without having it plugged into its power source, right? You got a blender, and you're trying to like hand turn the little thing to chop up your vegetables or your fruit or whatever it is. It's not going to work. You need to be plugged into the power source. And for us, without Jesus, we don't have the power to live right. It's trying to have a tree grow without roots. It's trying to build a house without a foundation. But if we are something new, then we're going to do something new. And this is the change that we're going to see that Paul's going to argue has taken place in our lives. And just like a, a butterfly doesn't continue to live like a caterpillar when it's gone through metamorphosis, it's become something different, right? It's become something new. So it doesn't live like a caterpillar. It doesn't crawl around the dirt anymore. It flies like a butterfly. It's called the fly. And the principle here is who we are determines what you do. You don't just tell the caterpillar to fake it and pretend like it's a butterfly. It actually becomes the butterfly. What we believe determines what we do. If I believe that my hips are truly in a hopeless state, I'm going to ask the doctor to perform surgery. If I truly believe I'm lost, I am a lost person person that I'm going to ask for directions. I'm going to ask for help. 
Now, this might seem obvious to you and I. We grew up in the West in a, in a Christian subculture where this kind of reasoning is, is usually pretty prevalent, but this is not the case all over the world. And um, when, when you kind of press into the, the, the idea, the, some of the ideas and principles of Hinduism, which much of the, the country of India, uh, India would, would ascribe to, we see this practice called Dharma. This word means duty. And, and what they would see, uh, the, the way that they would approach uh, life, the way that you're called to act, the way that you're called to uh, behave is what they would call dharma. This is, this is how you live this out. And this is what a, um, Herbert Hoffer had to say about dharma. He said, you can have whatever beliefs you like, but you are expected to live out dharma. You can believe whatever you want, but you've got to live this way. And according to the Hindu mindset, if a Hindu finds you to be a person of character and propriety, it doesn't matter to him much if you have differing theological beliefs. What matters first and foremost is that you are a person of dharma within Hinduism itself. One can identify hundreds of different religious traditions. In other words, they don't care what you believe. They just care how you act. Just do it, right? Just dharma it, right? That's what they're trying to say. And the last thing we want to be is Christian Hindus who just say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just do it. Just live this way. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang out with girls that do, right? If we just kind of outwardly perform more morally, then it's all good, but Paul, the problem is Paul in the Christian worldview doesn't teach that. It's very different than the Hindu way of life. Hinduism doesn't teach 11 chapters of clear, objective, historical, spiritual truth about God and man and say, therefore, because of these truths, this is how we're called to live. That's exactly what God's inspired word does. The word therefore here is, is a lot more than a word. It's, it's a worldview. It's the way we see things. Paul, it says, I appeal to you. I appeal to you on the basis of something, because of A, B, because of A, B. So let me ask you this morning, what, what's your life built on? What is your life built on? Like why, have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why do you do the things you do? Everybody has a worldview. Everybody does things for a reason, but what is that reason? Well, we see what Paul's going to argue is the thing that we're to build our lives on, number two, is to build our lives on the mercy of God, to build our lives in the mercy of God. He says in, in the NIV, therefore, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy. Now, this highlighted phrase here, it's a preposition. And in the Greek, it, it means the channel of an act, the way something is done, the means to an end. Or if you look at the ESV, it's by the mercies of God. Or the way the New Living says it is because of all that he's done for you, in view of, by, because of. This is a channel. So for example, a couple of examples. Uh, I perform uh, marriages every once in a while, so kind of like this guy, if you're a Princess Bride fan, you know what I'm talking about, marriage is what brings us, all right, uh, here's a handsomer version of a, of a pastor, uh, actually Je <laughs> Jeff and, and Lindsay back in there doing their wedding, uh, two, two years ago, three years ago, they had to look at each other, oh man, marriage, marriage counseling's coming, it's all cool, it's free, um, so when I said at the end of it, by the power vested in me, by in view of, because of, the state of Alaska and God's word. The, the channel, the reason that I'm able to marry this couple is because the state of Alaska has allowed me to legally, as an efficient, as a, as a minister, and the word of God has given us this power to, to bring two people together. So that's the channel, uh, the reason that I can wed them. Or if you want to head up to Anchorage, right? There is one way, one channel, one by the road of the Sterling Highway and then the Seward Highway. No other way to get there in your vehicle safely. Safely, you could try other ways. But, um, if you want to watch the NBA Finals in June, like I do, one channel, one channel, ESPN on ABC. It's the only place you can watch it, right? 
So here, here's what we're putting put this all together. What we're saying is there's only one way. There's one way. If you're going to live the way God wants you to live, there's, there's one channel, one way that we can do this, one reason that we can do this. It's by, because of, in view of the mercy, the mercy of God. So he says, in view of the mercy of God, and this is really Paul's shorthand reference to the rest of the book, chapters 1 through 11. Now, we, we, we took several months to walk through this, but a, just a brief overview to kind of catch us back up to speed. Remember, Paul starts out on kind of a, a down note, right? He starts on the, the problem of, of man. He starts with our sin. And he says, the, the bad news is that you and I, we were created in the image of God, that, that, that our call is to live a life that would highlight the truth of who God is, that would highlight his, his, his truth, how it highlight his, his love, his goodness, to bear his image on this earth, the way we act, the way we speak, the way we treat each other. But what do we do? We traded that truth for a lie. And we lived a life that where we thought we were God instead of God being God. And we spend our time glorifying ourselves instead of him. The Bible calls this sin. And each of us have fallen short of this glorious standard that God had given us to bear his image and to glorify him. Therefore, therefore, we are separated from him in our sin, dead men and women walking. And we deserve nothing but his wrath, nothing but the wrath of God in, in this. And, and Romans 3, at the end of Romans 3, 21, it leaves us in this pretty helpless, hopeless state. It says the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. It says none of us can do anything right to gain God's approval and favor. We all fall short. But it doesn't leave us there, does it? Turns this beautiful corner, and he talks to the next three chapters about salvation. He says, but now God. This beautiful phrase, but now God, doesn't leave us there on our own hopeless. He's shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. He says, you can't do it, but, he says in verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. What you could never do, God did for you. Jesus did on the cross. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Paul's argument is that God showed us a way back to God, a right relationship with him, by sending his son, Jesus, to come to this earth to keep the law, to live a perfect life that you and I could never live. He perfectly bore the image of God in a way that we never could, kept the law, kept God's righteous requirements in a way that we never could. And he absorbed on the cross the wrath and the penalty of our sinfulness. And now we get this new life, Jesus' right life in us, this new set of desires, Jesus' desires, this new heart, we get Jesus' heart, we get the new source of power to be able to live the way God has called us to live in the, in the first place. We've been made new, a new life that we can now bear his image through Jesus in the way that we were originally intended to. But life doesn't stop at salvation. It doesn't stop at baptism. That's actually where the life of the believer starts. And he calls us into Romans 6 through 8, this big word that we use to keep them all S's, uh, the sanctification, which just means to be made more holy, to be made more like Jesus, to grow uh, as a believer. And the cool thing is, with the, with the new risen Jesus inside of each of our physical bodies, we're now given this ability to be free from sin, to live the kind of life God has called us to live, to, to be able to say no and, and kill sin and, and live rightly. He gives us the, the ability to, to endure through the present sufferings that we each are facing in our lives. And he points us forward to the hope that we have in Christ. Security in him, a guarantee that the work that he started in you to make you like Jesus will be finished one day when Jesus comes back. 
And he told us at the end of Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate you from this secure love of God for us in Christ Jesus. And then he zooms back out. He was looking at the individual, but now he says, let's look at the whole world. And in Romans 9 through 11, we see the sovereign work of God and the way that he is displaying his mercy to the entire world. And we said in Romans chapter 9, God had sovereignly chosen Israel to be the ones through whom he would save the world. How would he do that? He'd bring a Messiah through them. The one we talked about last month in Isaiah chapter 9, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. The Messiah would be Jesus, born from Israel. But what happened when he came back to receive his own? His own did not receive him. And they killed him. And in their disobedience and rejection of the Messiah, they hung him on a cross. But that was not outside of God's sovereign plan, was it? He used the very rejection from the people of Israel to shed Jesus' blood and pay for the sins of the whole world. Mercy was shown to the Gentiles through the rejection of Jesus by the Jews. But God didn't leave the Jews hanging out to dry either. In Romans 11, he says eventually when Jesus comes back, in this process right now as he's showing mercy to the world through this risen Savior, the Jews are going to see the mercy he's showing to the Gentiles and come back to Jesus themselves. And in the end, he says that, that God will receive Israel through faith in Christ and he will show that I'm actually here to show mercy to the entire world, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, boy and girl. He has made a way back to God for everyone. This is the mercy of God. Therefore, he says, in view, because of, by this mercy... This is how you're called to live. Now, what is mercy? What is mercy? Mercy, it means showing compassion. That's an emotional word. God cares about us. He loves us. And he helps. That's an action word. He helps the afflicted, those seeking aid, the wretched, or the lost. So you think about this. There's a young girl trapped in forced prostitution, sex trafficking, slavery. And here comes this young couple who shows her mercy, compassion, cares for this young girl, wants to help this young girl, adopts this young girl as their own child, rescuing her out of that old way of life and giving her a whole new one, one that is free. She can now build a new life in view of those mercies. In view of the love and the rescue that she was shown, she can now build a whole new world. She has a new home, a new family, new relationships, a new security, free from the old life, and now to live anew. And you and I, we were dead to God in our sin, in slavery, spiritual slavery. And what Paul's arguing in these first 11 chapters man, is you and I, we were adopted because of the mercy of the love and rescue of God, he calls us his own children and rescues us out of this dominion of darkness and brings us into this glorious kingdom of light and freedom. And now that he's brought us into this new life, he says, build your reality on who you are now as a freed slave that now we're called into because of his mercy to live a new life, to have new relationships, right? We have a new home, we have a new daddy, we have new behavior and new action that we're called into. By the mercies of God. And John Piper, he, he gives three reasons, argues three reasons why mercy is the channel through which we're to build our lives on. Why we're to live our lives in view of God's mercy. Reason number one, he says, we exist to make people amazed at the mercy of God. To live in such a way that people conclude. When they look at our lives, here's, their, here's the bottom line. They say, God, this God is merciful. 
that they would step back and be amazed at the mercy of God. And, and this, is, this is built out of Romans 15, this argument. Uh, Romans 15, 8, remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors, that I'm going to send the Messiah to save you. And then verse 9, he also came so the Gentiles might give glory to God for his mercies to them. So he says, the reason that you exist is to give God glory, and the way we do that is through seeing the mercies, the love and rescue that he showed us in Jesus. We are to be called trophies of his mercy. This last, uh, over Christmas break, I snuck into Cookinland Academy when nobody was looking, and uh, I took a picture of the trophy case. And this trophy case, it beholds some glorious artifacts that, that highlight the player and the coach that was Justin Franchino. <laughs> and all the greatness that I displayed in the Memorial Gymnasium for the community to behold, right? These, these trophies exist to, to glorify the state championships that we won. And as people go back and they look at those, those trophies, you go, man, Justin used to be a lot skinnier, right? <laughs> they, 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 you know, they see, they see they're to highlight the greatness of those basketball teams. That's, that's why those trophies exist. You and I, we are called to be a trophy case of God's mercy. To make the mercy of God look great among the nations. So that when people look at us, and listen to me, it's not that people look at any of us and go, man, he looks perfect. He's got his act together. That's not the gospel. That'd be a trophy glorifying us. No, they look at us and they go, look at this wretched sinner who was saved, who was rescued out of their old way of life and who was loved by their Savior, and is now filled with this joy, and this hope, and this new life. This God is an amazing God. These trophies of God point to Him, not to us. Highlighting the mercy of God. It's trophies. Second one, he argues, is we're showing mercy to others as the best way, the best lifestyle to display the mercy of God. The best way to display the mercy of God in this world is to show mercy to other people. We're going to walk through Romans 12, and what we're going to see bleeding all over the page is God's call for us to show mercy to other people. In the way that we love people, in the way that we serve people, the way that we welcome them into our homes, into our intimate spaces. The, the way that we're called to, to, to care even for the haters in our lives. We're going to see this radical life change in, in, in the way that we feed the hungry, the way that we spend our time and our, our money and, and what we find joy in. It's going to be this whole new thing. And, and the reason, why is he calling us to live this way? Because why, what were we created for in the first place? To bear his image. And this God is a merciful God. And so the best way to show this world his mercy is to show this world his mercy in the way that we treat each other. They say, well, I can't do that. I'm a sinner. I fall short. Exactly. That's why Jesus. Point number three, God's mercy toward us is the way to live this lifestyle. We can't just fake it to make it, right? We can't just pretend to be a butterfly. We have to become a butterfly. And that's what God did for us in his mercy that we'll look at when we get later into this chapter. See, every good gift that you have, we sang it earlier, the breath in our lungs the heart beating in our chest, the rescue that we have from sin, the right standing we have before God, the home that, lays, that we can lay our head down at night in. Every good thing that we have is a mercy of God. 
and what, what he's calling us to here. You remember, we, we're starting back up in Romans 12.1, but the verse right before this, this glorious summary of God's sovereignty over humankind, he says this, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Do you see what he's saying? All the mercy comes from God. Every good thing that we do happens through the mercy of God. And therefore, as his trophies, all the glory, all the praise, all the thanks goes right back up to him. It's all about this merciful God. And this makes all the difference in our lives. Well, the way we see his mercy, listen, there's two ways we can see this. We don't live the way we live to earn God's mercy. Do you catch that? We don't live the way we live to earn God's mercy. We live the way we live because we have already received it freely in Jesus. Do you see the difference? And there was a large period in my time and I, in my life, and I still slip back into this all the time, but I was living the first way. And I remember, man, reading my Bible in, in hopes that God would show me mercy the rest of the day. Like, if I do, if I give you your, if I read your book, if I do what you're telling me to do, then the rest of the day, you'll love me, you'll help me, you'll give me what I want, give me what I need. I remember I'd be nice to other people, but just kind of out of fear that he wouldn't rock me with a lightning bolt. That's not a way to live life. That's fear-based. That's, that's shame-induced. That's exhausting, isn't it? And it leads to nothing but failure and disappointment and despair. We're trying to earn his mercy through the way that we live. But brothers and sisters, I want to tell you there's a better way to live. There's a, there's a better foundation to build our lives on. And it's on the fact that we've already received the mercy of God freely in Jesus. There are three great therefores that we see in Romans. And I think these are pillars that we're to put our life on top of. The first one's in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, made right in God's sight, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he doesn't say we might someday be right in his sight. Hopefully one day he'll, we'll be at peace with him. You're not quite there. He's still kind of ticked at you. He says, in Christ, we have, past tense, perfect. You've received right standing with him. You've received his peace through Jesus. The first pillar is our salvation. We've been given mercy freely. And the next, therefore, is three chapters later, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, because of our salvation, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This speaks to our security. What he wants to say to us here is, man, you, you are not, you're not condemned. There's no wrath for you. There's no condemn, condemnation for you. There's a security that we have for the believer. Listen, we don't have to constantly be watching over our shoulders and worried that God is going to whack us if we forgot to do our devotions one morning or we stumble into sin. That's not the fear-based life we've been called to live into. In Christ, we are accepted. We're not condemned. We won't receive his wrath. And this God will keep us from falling that we are secure because of his mercy, not because of our merits, not because of how good of a little boy or girl we've been, because of the love of God. Therefore, therefore, because we're saved, because we're secure in Christ, come to the third pillar. Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, because you are safe and secure, not in order to guarantee or earn your safety and security, Offer your bodies to him as a living sacrifice. Serve God. Live this way because of his mercy, because he's already given it to you. Who we are and what we believe will determine what we do. And because we believe Romans 1 through 11, therefore we'll live out Romans 12 
through 16. Because of Christ's mercy, because we already have it freely. He loved me. He rescued me. Therefore, in the great words of the philosopher Stephen Tyler, I'm going to walk this way, right? I'm not going to walk that way, all right? I'm going I'm to live because of God's, because I have his mercy. I'm going to live this way and not live that way. I'm going to choose to speak these kind of words to this person and, and not those words. I, I, I'm going to choose to live the way I live, not, not in order to earn God's mercy, but because I already have it and I am something completely new. I've got Christ in me. And it's his mercy that's going to live through me. This is our first time together uh, in 2019. So happy new year to you all. Uh, one step closer to Jesus, amen. As we look back to 2018, as we look back to the year that we just came out of, I want us to do so in view of God's mercy. What, what Paul is calling us to. Now, listen, for some of you, this is a rough year. This is a rough year. Made some poor choices, fell into sin, or maybe outside of you, there was just some brokenness, some loss, some pain, some, some heartache that you walked through, and you'd rather not think about 2018 very long and move ahead to the next year. And for you, I want to say, Paul says, build your life in 2019 on the mercy of God. That he loves you. There's nothing that you can do to separate from that love. And that that, that power that he's given you to save you and sustain you will never run out. That he'll, he'll sustain you through the rain, through the tears, as trophies of his mercy. Now, for some of us, this was a good year. You got married, maybe you had a, a new child, a new job. Things were, were pretty good. You were pretty excited about 2018. Don't forget, we received those things freely as gifts of his mercy. We did not earn them. We didn't pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, and God goes, man, you're amazing. Here's some freebies, right? We didn't earn it. From him, through him, and to him. Man, I look, for all of us, I'm sure there's a mixed bag in there. We had some good stuff. We had some, some tough stuff. I look back on this year at our church. I know it's been a mixed bag. I, I know there are some of you sitting in this room who have gone through some pain, some hardship. We've walked that road together. But then we also celebrate the amazing things God is doing in our church. Since 2015, we've tripled in size. It's crazy. We, we have seen a, a people who are generous with their money, with their time. We've seen discipleship. We've seen baptisms, people coming to Jesus. We've seen baby dedications. There is a lot to be grateful for. We're sitting in a room full of mercy trophies. We can glorify our God for that. One trophy in particular I want to highlight as we end here. Uh, five years ago, we were pretty desperate uh, for a youth leader. We were about two weeks away from youth group starting, and we had nobody uh, and we were at a staff meeting, and Pastor Larry, he says, uh, hey, have we prayed about this yet? I'm like, oh, very spiritual, Larry. That's great. Pray for them. You know, whatever. Uh, but he was, he was right, right, by the way. We, we should pray for that. So we did. We prayed for it, and lo and behold, that same afternoon, I'm riding my bike down the Sterling Highway, and I look over, and I see Pizza Boys. And there's Robbie Smithwick. I don't even know what he was doing. He wasn't working. He was out in the parking lot. <laughs> and I saw him. Here's a picture of him. Thank you, Google Images. <laughs> Found <laughs> This is some al album art from a, a, an album, a music album he put together a while ago. I think this is before he could grow a beard, so it's pretty exciting. Uh, so I said, man, Robbie, what are you up to, right? You're clearly not doing anything right now. You want a, you want a, you want a job? And uh, I didn't know Robbie very well at that time. I knew his family. I'd coached some of the boys, his brothers on the basketball team at Cook Inlet. But um, man, this random run-in led to Robbie the next two years after that being our youth intern. And it has been, I'll tell you what, 
it has been this amazing privilege to have a front row seat and into, the, into a mercy trophy. That's Robbie. And, and to see the way, and if you know Robbie's story, he's, come, he's had a rough go of it. He's had a lot of loss and heartache in his life. But to see the way that God has been growing Robbie faithfully because of his mercy. And we've seen these last couple years, Robbie, to continue to grow in his heart for, for ministry, for Jesus and his people, for his own family. And, and, and we've seen now he's a part-time youth director. And in, in a year or two, we might see him be full-time staff. He's gone back to school online, uh, doing some biblical studies to get his degree. Uh, might see him as a pastoral staff one day. It's been so exciting to see God working in Robbie's life. And if you don't know Robbie's story, I want to encourage you next week, he's actually going to be sharing in the service his testimony, sharing about this, this, this trophy of mercy to see not how amazing Robbie is, right? Not how beautiful Robbie is, as good looking as he is in that picture, but to see what God has done in Robbie's life, the mercy trophy that, that he is, that just declares the greatness of our God. I want to encourage you to come next week to hear that story. But for all of us, we're to live our lives as we're going to see the way we live this, this thing out in Romans 12 through 16, let us not forget that it's built on the foundation of the love and rescue, the mercy of God that he's shown us in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, and we know, we know we are sinners who deserve nothing but your wrath. But Father, you didn't leave us there. Because you love us, you sent your son to rescue us. You showed us mercy. Those who did not deserve mercy. And Father, I pray for those in this room today that are, that are really feeling the, the, the hard parts of life, the suffering, the sin, the loss, the pain, the suffering. Father, that they might avert their eyes and see this Jesus that loves them, this salvation that's offered to them, this God that will never leave them nor forsake them. And no, there's nothing they have to do to earn this mercy, to, to make themselves better in your presence, but to simply fall at their, the foot of the cross and receive what's been freely given to them in Jesus. Pray for those of us who have maybe drifted into a state of apathy or gotten caught up looking at the glittery good things that we have in our lives and have neglected to see where that's coming from. May we take heed lest we fall and recognize humbly that nothing good we have came from our own merit and ability to earn it, but it came freely from God that we would become a people, God, as you transform us into Christ's image, that would show mercy in our community, that would love people the way that you love people, that would feed the hungry, that would clothe the naked, that would preach the gospel to the, those who are enslaved to sin. And that as we go, not pretending to be perfect, but as we go as trophies of your mercy, the world might see just how beautiful and merciful this Jesus is and cling to him. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for what we've already freely received in him. May we simply do out of who we are. It's in his beautiful, merciful name that we pray. Amen.